0: For our New Testament reading this morning. We remain in the book of John chapter 6. This morning I'll be reading verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And I will raise him up on the last day. Our sermon text this morning: Second Peter, chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you for reading that verse. Another verse that you won't find uh, on the plaques at Lifeway uh, a speechless donkey. <laughs> okay. It's going to be interesting today. Looking forward to digging into the word with you this morning. Uh, Man, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be here. It is good that we are here. And uh, uh, we're always thankful for all of our guests, and I don't usually uh, point out guests, but my heart is full today to see uh, Chad and Amanda Trollinger here with their family. Uh Chad and Amanda, could you just stand up for a minute? Because just for a minute, just stand up real quick and sit back down. There you go. There's Chad and Amanda. And the reason I want to do that, we're in the middle of a membership matters class. And one of the sessions is we talk about the history of Rottendale Community Church so they can know who we are, where we came from. Chad and Amanda were the first couple married under the ministry of Rottendale Community Church uh, back in the mid-90s, 94, 95. What was it? 98. 98. I missed 24 years, okay, 24 years. So we didn't do a wedding for four years. Wow, that's amazing, okay? Uh, But first married couple under RCC. So uh, uh, a great memory, a great, I love the history that we share. And if it's this good seeing you now after so many years, just think of what heaven is gonna be like when we reunite, come back together forever under the glorious Lordship of Jesus Christ, face to face with Him, uh, perfectly loving Him, perfectly loving each other, uh, man, and that—that's just a bitter, a little, a little foretaste of of how good it's going to be. So I'm thankful that you're here. God bless you as you celebrate Gary and Debbie's 50th anniversary. So that's another big thing. Uh, So praise the Lord for solid, long-lasting, God-honoring marriages. We pray that for all of our young people, all of our young married people. Man, it's good. It's good to be a part of God's people. There's nothing better than that. So if you're here today and are not a Christian, what in the world Are you waiting for this family, this family of God opens its doors to you, opens its arms to you. And we plead with you to come to Jesus and be a part of this church that God is building, be a part of this family that God is growing. So God bless you as you consider that. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another day together. Another Lord's Day. Another day to hear what you want to say to us from your Word. Another day to sing the glory of your name. Continue to make us better singers of your glory. Not more talented singers necessarily. Just better singers. May singing of you and singing to you be one of our most favorite activities in our life. Thank you for the leadership of our music team. And God, another day to to gather at your table, to commune with you, with your son and with each other, to remember what you've done for us. Another day to fellowship with your people, to encourage one another. And to stir one another up to love and good deeds. What a day. What a life. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Please, Father, speak to us. From this challenging passage, this humorous passage, that is a part of your word, help us to apply life-changing truths to our lives and leave here today a little bit more like Jesus as you transform us from glory to glory, as you wash us and sanctify us by your word. So, Father, once again we ask that the words of my mouth and the ponderings of our heart together here corporately be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All righty. Man, I'm ready to go. It's been uh, two, three weeks as I preached, so I'm ready. So I hope you packed the lunch today. We're good. We're good to go. Uh, we've been studying Peter's warnings about the false teachers for the past uh, several weeks. And he's, so far, he's given us much instruction. And he's not through. We've got a, next week, we'll be, continue to talk about it. But so far, he's reminded us and, and, and uh, told us that these false teachers dwell among God's people. Uh, they bring in destructive heresies. Uh, they are deceivers of God's people and deniers of the lordship of Jesus. So therefore, we must be alert. We must be protective of our flock and of our children. We must be ready to constantly and consistently contend for the faith and refute the error. He's told us that they are arrogant, they are irrational, they are ignorant, they are overindulgent, they are hypocritical. They commit spiritual adultery and often physical adultery adultery, and lead God's people into that as we're going to see today. They are greedy lovers of money, enticing people with false promises. They give God's people a bad name as the world loves to lump all Christians in with the hucksters and the charlatans who gain prominence in the eyes of immature believers. We left off last time with Peter's summary statement in 2 Peter 2, 15, and 16, which Gerald just read, but I'll read it again real quick. Forsaking the right way, they, they being the false prophets, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. So today we're going to find out, hopefully, what is this way of Balaam, uh, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Okay, so what is the way of Balaam? That's the question for today. Uh, And today we want to try to answer that question uh, that Peter is referring to. And to get an answer to that, we first have to know who Balaam was. Was And what the Bible says about him. Charles Spurgeon said this about this false prophet, quote, One of the strangest characters of the whole world is Balaam. At times, no man could speak more eloquently and more truthfully, as we will see today when we read uh, some of his oracles over Israel. And at other times, he exhibited the meanest and most sordid covetousness that could disgrace human nature. Determining the identity of Balaam and the way of Balaam is like putting together pieces of, pu- of a puzzle. It's kind of fun, okay? And I hope you'll in- enjoy this with me today and, and dive right in. Uh, scripture gives us the pieces of this puzzle of who is Balaam and what is his way, and the first piece I want to consider is Joshua 13, verse 22. Joshua 13 and verse 22, where we read this. Joshua is, uh, is, is uh, uh, recounting uh, some of Israel's history. And he says, Balaam, also the son of Beor, and here's a key phrase coming up, the one who practiced divination. The one who practiced divination was killed by the sword or with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. So, we learn from this verse, not only of his demise, we learn that he was killed by the sword, okay, in one of God's uh, acts of judgment on, on, uh, on enemy nations, uh, but we also learn that he practiced divination. Now, what is that? Well, we read this from the Dictionary of Biblical Languages. Uh, We learn that it means to be a soothsayer, to seek an omen, i.e. to state or determine the future or hidden knowledge through signs, omens, and supernatural powers. And then it goes on to define divination as... The pagan state or process of stating or determining the future. Four broad classes of divination are, number one, the position of stars. So they, for like an astrologer, they read, the, they try to read the stars. Uh, two, speaking with dead spirits. A necromancer, someone who tries to communicate with the dead. Uh, Three, examining animal parts or potsherds. This would be the, you know, killing of an animal, cutting out its guts, and reading the intestines. Really gross thing. Really really kind of stupid things, but that's what they would do, okay? Um, And reading ancient ruins, you know, potsherds, broken pieces of ceramic, and trying to read the future by looking at that, okay? And then four, to cast lots for a yes or no answer so bottom line Balaam practiced false religion he dealt in the religion of the occult he was like the fortune tellers the astrologers or palm readers of today and this practice was clearly uh unambiguously forbidden by God we read this in Deuteronomy 18 verse 10 There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. So Balaam's activities are clearly forbidden by God. When Samuel was rebuking Saul for not completely destroying the Amalekites as God had instructed He said in 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. So, the practice of divination, which Balaam did, was clearly sinful. Balaam committed the sin of practicing divination. But it gets worse. Not only was Balaam involved in that sin, but he also took money for it. He took money for it. He fits Peter's description of a false prophet in his greedy love of money. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know this from Numbers 22. Uh, Let let me just read a section there. We're going to be there a a lot today because that's where we get the the account of the talking donkey. But here's how it begins. Numbers 22, if you want to follow along, beginning at verse verse 1. This is the setting for the story that Peter is referring to in his second letter that we've just read. Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, who is the king of Moab, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So he's getting worried. He's getting scared. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. In other words, he goes to his neighbor Midian and says, We need to get together. These people are coming and we're in big trouble. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam. There's our guy. Okay. There's the guy that uh, Peter's referring to. The son of Beor at Pethor, who is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. That's Israel. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now curse this people for me since they are too mighty for me perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Okay so there's the setting for the uh, event that Peter is referring to in Second Peter 2. Okay uh, Balak king of Moab Scared of Israel, he wants this prophet to come and curse them, possibly weaken them so his army can defeat them. And then we read this in verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with, watch this, the fees for divination. There you go. There's the money. There's the money aspect. They know they're going to have to pay this guy. So they depart with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. So, again, Balak is afraid of Israel conquering Moab, so as a preemptive strike, he contacts Balaam to curse Israel, and he's willing to pay for it. He knows there will be a fee because he knows who Balaam is, so he sends money, the fees for divination with the elders of Moab and Midian. John MacArthur writes this, having garnered a reputation as a prophet for hire. This was Balaam's reputation, a prophet for hire, a greedy, false teacher, one who was in it for the money. And MacArthur goes on to say, Balaam was from a city Along the Euphrates River, where scholars have found evidence of a cult of prophets whose activities resembled Balaam's practice. So not only the Bible, but which is enough, but even archaeology points to who Balaam was. He was a member of this group of cult prophets who practiced divination for money. Now we'll come back to this strange account in a little bit. But what else? Let's continue with our uncovering of Balaam. Who, what else does the Bible tell us about Balaam? So let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and the letter from Jesus recorded by John to the church at Pergamum. Several years ago, we did a study of the seven letters of Revelation. Great study. And here's, here's, one of, here's a verse from one of the letters And Jesus says this, or Jesus has John write this, so Jesus is saying this to the church. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of Balaam, the way of Balaam, okay? The teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, there's our king in the story, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Okay? So here's, a, here's the, 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 maybe the third strike against Balaam. You know, he, he's, he's doing something he's not supposed to, practicing divination. He's taking money for it. But Jesus tells us in this letter that he got Israel... To practice sexual immorality. Now, as we will see when we go back to Numbers 22 in just a minute, God did not allow Balaam to curse Israel. He wound up blessing Israel instead. The sovereign God commandeered the false prophet's voice and spoke blessing on Israel instead of cursing. And we'll speak more to that later in the end, at the end of this message. Uh, So, Balak the king who's scared of Israel and Balaam the false prophet who Balak hired to curse Israel but he can't curse Israel God forbids him prohibits him from doing that they go to plan B and it seems as though Balaam basically says to Balak I can't curse these people God is not allowing me to curse these people Somehow, way, he's taking control of my voice, and I cannot curse them. God's keeping me from doing that. But here's what you can do. Entice them with your Moabite women. Okay? See the plan? So let's put two more pieces of the puzzle together. Numbers 31, verses 14 to 16. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Now, why is Moses angry? Well, Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? What women is he talking about? Well, the Moabite women. Because look what he says next. Behold, these, these women... On Balaam's advice. Okay, that's what Jesus was talking about in his letter to Pergamum. See how it all fits? You with me? Fitting together? On Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. So Balaam encouraged Balak to get his women to entice the people of Israel, and they did. And God's upset about that. And so the plague came on the congregation of the Lord. Now, in that text we just read, he mentioned the incident incident of Peor. What's that? Well, Numbers 25. Numbers 25. While Israel lived in Shittim, that was a valley which the city of Peor was in, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And there you go. That was Balaam's idea. That was Balaam's influence on King Balak to get his people to do that. Okay? These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal, false god, to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Pastor John MacArthur sums it up like this, quote, Balaam encouraged the Israelites to practice idolatry, immorality, and intermarriage in a second attempt. The the, the cursing didn't work. In a second attempt to destroy them, this time by assimilating them into pagan Canaanite society. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? The enemy's ways hasn't changed very much, has it? What do you think the enemy tries to do to us? to get us to assimilate into the pagan society? So let's wake up. OK? Let's be alert. And be watchful. David Helm, commentator, says this, kind of as a summary also. Balaam, perhaps more than any other preacher in Israel's history, set his voice, his eyes, and his heart on God-forsaken ways. In addition, he was the leading religious voice that led the sexual revolution forward during the day's when Moses shepherd the people upon the plains. Let's stop right there. L- later on in, in God, the history of God's people the writers of the New Testament had to deal with this because what was one of the teachings of the Gnostics? The Gnostics you know, was one of the big uh, enemies of the church that Paul and Peter and the writers of the New Testament had to deal with. And one of the main teachings of the Gnostics was basically this, that Your flesh, your body, and your soul, they're two completely separate entities in a way that's true, okay, Uh, but, but they corrupted the truth by saying, so, since they are two complete separate entities, you can do whatever you want to in your flesh, and it won't affect your soul. And that led the people of God, even in the New Testament times, into sexual Immorality. So the enemy, over the years, the enemy doesn't change too much to try to destroy God's people and to attack God's people. Let me finish the helm quote. Defying God's law, this forsaken preacher promoted sexual union with outside neighboring nations, and in doing so, he lined his pocket with money. So, beloved, there you have it. The way of Balaam. What is the way of Balaam? Love of money and sexual immorality, the telltale signs of a false prophet. This is the way of Balaam. Now, let's move to the humorous part of the story. What are the lessons of Balaam's donkey? And I believe there are some, okay? And since Peter brought it up in verse 16, since Peter mentioned the talking donkey, we can't ignore that. So let's go back to Numbers 22. We've started reading that. We've read the first seven verses. And pick up the account at verse 8 and read through it together and corporately ponder it. And before we do that, I want to make a quick observation, make a quick statement here. Uh, This is one of the stories that our skeptics, that the skeptics of Christianity and the skeptics of the Bible, they love to bring this one up. Uh, Talking donkey, come on. How stupid can you be to believe that, you know? And they will discount the Bible because of this account. And you know the flood. They'll they'll call call that out. Jonah and the whale. You know um, Elijah, and the floating axe head, or Elisha and the floating axe head. They'll they'll take these stories and they'll they'll use these stories. Say any any intelligent human being would would never believe these stories. Well, let's pause for a minute and think about it. Now, think think think. Are you thinking with me? Thinking with me? Okay. A talking donkey is nothing compared to creation out of nothing. Think about it. A talking donkey is nothing compared to the creator of the universe becoming human through a virgin birth. Come on. A talking donkey is nothing compared to the incarnate Son of God's death on a cross paying for every single sin of every single one of God's people. Talking donkey doesn't even get in the same category with those things. A talking donkey is nothing compared to a lot of things in God's Word that we are called to believe. Resurrection, new birth, return of Jesus, new heavens, new earth. Here's the bottom line, beloved. The heart of our faith involves supernatural events. Christianity is a supernatural faith. It is also a rational faith, a reasonable faith. Why do I say that? Because there is nothing at all irrational or unreasonable about believing that a supernatural God who created all Things out of nothing is able to do supernatural things with and to his creation. Amen. Now, are you born again? You had a dead heart, you had a spiritually lifeless heart, and now you've got a brand new one. You had a heart that didn't want God, didn't worship God, hated God, even when you thought you were neutral. It hated God. But now you've got a heart that loves God and wants to serve God and loves his people and can't wait to see Jesus. A talking donkey is nothing compared to that. So let's don't get upset about the talking donkey. And when people mock us and people ridicule us, just nod and say, okay. Your day's coming your day's coming. you will bow before the one that that talking donkey saw. so just wanted to say that so let's read let's let's go through numbers twenty two This will be fun today okay I, I love when the New Testament writers mention Old Testament things because as, you, as you've probably noticed, if you've been with us a lot, it's I'm, 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 maybe a fault. I'm primarily a New Testament preacher, but when the New Testament mentions Old Testament, I love going back there, and so that, that gives us some Old Testament stuff, and that's a good thing. Okay, so um, Numbers 22. Let's pick it up in verse. We've already read one through seven. That gave us the setting of the event that Peter was referring to, and here's verse eight. Uh, so the the elders of Moab and Midian have come, they've, they've, they've told Balaam what they want, they've you know, offered the money, and they gave him, they've gave him the king's message. In verse 8, and he, Balaam, said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princess of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam. You know, God came to the God can do whatever he wants to, okay? God came to Balaam and said who are these men with you and Balaam said to God Balak the son of Zippor king of Moab has sent to me saying behold the people has come out of Egypt and it covers the face of the earth now come curse them for me perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out and God said to Balaam you shall not go with them you shall not curse the people for they are blessed they are blessed remember that we'll we'll come back to that so Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Okay. And here we, again, we get an example of, of false teachers. Sometimes they do the right thing. Sometimes they say the right thing, right? That's how they get us. That's how, how they get us. So we can't let our guard down, even when they say something that, that's right and good and sounds right or is true. Okay. That's, I mean, he's beat it to God there, looks like. Okay. Uh, so the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balak refuses to come with us. But Balak didn't give up. He sent him back. Once again, Balak sent princes in more number and more honorable than these. So he sends a bigger group and a more important group. Somehow uh, he gives, goes to the next level of honor and more important people, more influential people. He sends the elite, you know, okay? You know the elite, you know, they they're, they're big around here, too, in our country, okay? And he sends them more on And they came to Balaam, and they said to him, Thus says Balaam, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. He's probably up the price. He's probably offering more money, too. It doesn't say that exactly, but maybe that's what's going on here. For I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. In other words, I'll pay you whatever you want. Uh, come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. Now notice he doesn't say, I won't take that. He's, he'll take that. <laughs> you can give me all you want, uh, but I could not go beyond the command of the Lord to do less or more. Oh, good. That's good, Balaam. That sounds good. Okay, good. Uh, verse 19. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Okay? So God says, Okay, go. Go. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Now here's, here's where the critics will come in and say, well, God told him to go. Why is God mad? Well, God knows his heart. God knows. It's kind of the John 2 thing. We read about it. A lot of people believed in Jesus, remember? And then the next verse says, but Jesus was not them himself to them because he knew all men. (laughs) He knew their belief wasn't a true belief. He knew their heart. God knows Balaam's heart, and he knows he's going. He, He said he could go, but then he knows his heart. He's going for selfish, sinful reasons. God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand. Angel of the Lord. Oh, appearance of Jesus. Most scholars, theologians commentators: this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside, outside, aside out of the road and went into the field. So donkey sees Jesus, sees this angel, sees this being, probably Jesus. Uh, he sees him and he, he's, he gets off, he goes out off the road. He goes out into the field. Okay. Uh, And Balaam gets mad and strikes the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. Got the picture? They're going in this narrow path. There's a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he's squeezing Balaam's ankle up against the wall here. And so Balaam gets mad and struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. He can do that. No problem. I have no problem with that. He can do that. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, here's what's even more funnier. Balaam talks back. (laughs) That's funnier to me. (laughs) That's more amazing. Apparently, this guy's used to talking to animals. Okay. I remember another animal that talked, don't you? Yeah. Beginning of the story. The serpent. <laughs> Talking animals, not a big deal, okay? And Balaam said to the donkey, <laughs> just very normally, <laughs> because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. You know, you're lucky I just got a stick, you know, a rod. I wish I had a sword. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey and what you've ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. And you think he was said, and you've never talked to me before either, but no, we don't see that. Okay. Uh, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. We'll stop right there. What are the lessons of this story? Well, I got four. <clears throat> you could probably add to them. Give them to you real quick. We're not going to elaborate much on them. First lesson for me was God definitely has a sense of humor. I love this. I love this. You know. I love funny people. And funny people that aren't funny at the expense of others. You know, truly funny people. I love being around funny Why would that ever be outside of being created in the image of God? We're God, this is funny. A donkey is talking to this guy. And a donkey, God uses a donkey to get his attention, and God opens his eyes to see, see Jesus. So I love that God has a sense of humor. Number two, true speakers of God are never blind to Jesus. True speakers of God are never blind to Jesus, as as Balaam was for most of of the account. Balaam didn't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey did. So pray, pray that your elders and your Sunday school teachers and your band of brothers teachers and your women's Bible study teachers your Kids Rock teachers will always, always, always see Jesus and always, always, always speak of Jesus. Number three, don't be impressed by speakers, for God can make donkeys speak. Don't be impressed by speakers, God can make donkeys speak be impressed with Jesus be impressed with Jesus thank God for the speakers that point you to Jesus but don't be impressed with the speakers be impressed with whom they are speaking about and number four Let me read verse 31 again. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Fourth lesson I get from this is this. Everyone ultimately bows before Jesus. Everyone. Everyone, no one gets out of that, no one, so I'm urging you to do it now in this life because if you don't do it in this life, you will do it at the beginning of your next life before God assigns you a place in hell. Glenn Scribner wrote this quote, "There are those who walk tall in this life but have no love for Christ. They will be brought low with no one to raise them again." On the other hand, there are those who are down at heel, yet they trust in Christ. They will fall in wonder and be lifted. In mercy. Isn't that good? I immediately think of the Apostle John's vision of the risen Christ in Revelation chapter one, right before he gets the assignment to write the seven letters, Jesus gives him a vision of himself. Let's read about it as we move to a close this morning. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John had been exiled to this island for being a Christian. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Beloved, a talking donkey is nothing compared to that. My question for you today is this. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord? And then identified with him in baptism? If not, got good news for you. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day. Adults, talk to your friends, your saved friends. Children, talk to your parents. Today's the day of salvation. God himself sums this story that we've been looking at today. He sums it up in Joshua 24. Joshua is is, is giving a history of God's people. He's speaking for the Lord. And in verses 9 and 10 of Joshua 24, we read this. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. This is God speaking to Israel through Joshua. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. So there's one more wonderful lesson that we receive from this account. A lesson that should be an encouragement to each and every true believer. If if we'd have kept reading in numbers, but time won't allow us, but if we had kept reading, we would have read, and if you go on today and read it, you'll read the blessings that Balaam spoke over Israel. Remember, we said that God commandeered Balaam's voice, refused to let him curse Israel, and instead he spoke blessings. And our response might be, well, I thought Balaam was a false prophet. Well, listen, one of our basic lessons, even false prophets come under the sovereignty of God, right? God is sovereign over everything. They only say what God allows them to say. God rules over them. It's kind of like the Satan and Job thing, if you're familiar with with the study of Job. Satan did some horrible things to Job, but only what God allowed him to do. God is sovereign over all things, good, evil, peace, calamity. He's he's sovereign over it all. That's one of our bottom line starting points of faith. John MacArthur was once asked if people could be saved by the words of false teachers. I love his response. It was something like this. I didn't write it down. I just going by memory. But this was pretty much what it was. God loves to use the needle of truth in the haystack of error for His glory. So yes, people could, can, and are saved through false teachers because they're not saved by the false teachers, right? God saves through the message, not through the messenger. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the message of Christ. So, again, if you keep reading Numbers, you're going to read those blessings. Let me give you a few little tiny excerpts of them and we'll wrap this up. Here are excerpts from Balaam's oracles in Numbers 23 and 24. These are the needles of truth coming from what had previously been a haystack of falsehood, okay, and sin, and error, and wickedness. Words of truth that the false teacher could not cancel. Numbers 23:8. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Numbers 23, 19 and 20. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed And I cannot revoke it. Translated, you're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to lose your salvation. If you are truly a part of the people of God, you are always going to be a part of the people of God. That blessing cannot be revoked. Numbers 23, 23, and 24. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, What has God wrought? Behold, a people. God has made for himself a people, a nation. Peter talked about it in his first letter a royal priesthood. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. What has God wrought? The church. And he's building it. And the gates of hell, nor any false prophet will stand against it. Be encouraged. Numbers twenty four seventeen. I love this one. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of jacob and a scepter shall rise out of israel (laughs) who's he talking about he's talking about jesus i got goosebumps it shall crush the forehead of moab and break down all the sons of sheth so here's the lesson what's this final lesson god's blessing on his people is irreversible it can't be taken away. It can't be revoked. It can't be canceled. Once you're in God's family, by the grace of God, through faith, because of the work of Jesus alone, you're in. You're in for good. God keeps his people. He will continue to bless and keep them, just like he promised Abraham way back in Genesis 12. Your kids, Our kids rockers can tell you about it. Ask them about it. That's what we're studying this year, Genesis 12:2, "And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That cannot be revoked. That cannot be taken away, and it won't be. And Jesus will come. He will come. Here are numbers 24:17 again. I see Him, but not now. Remember this is before the first incarnation of jesus the first coming of jesus i see him but not now i behold him but not near somehow god's given him this this, somebody's coming i see him but i don't really see him physically i see him but not physically He, he i behold him but he's not near he's not here yet a star shall come out of jacob star what star the bright and morning star a scepter shall rise out of Israel. What scepter? Yeah, the scepter of the king of kings will rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 3.15. I will put inventory between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Beloved, that's Jesus. There's Jesus all over that. There's Jesus all over this book. Know this book. Read this book. Study this book. Even false prophets can't help speaking about Jesus. Listen, there is no stopping or thwarting of God's plan. Kings and false prophets and evil people and Satan's seed. They've tried to do it since the garden. And it's a, it's a futile endeavor. So be encouraged, my beloved church family. If God has saved you, you will never lose that precious salvation. You are blessed forever. So be a blessing. Just like God said in Genesis 12, I will bless you with salvation, and you will be a blessing. So be a blessing. And for the non-Christians here today, I pray, I pray, I'm praying right now, I pray that God will give you a new heart today so that you can get in on this, so that you can get in on the irrevocable blessing, the irremovable blessing of being one of God's people amen let's pray together God thank you so much for your word what a blessing it is to read it and study it read it and study it together as your people oh man you are so good you are so glorious thank you for the covenant you made with Abraham our forefather our patriarch Thank you for making us Abraham's seed, people of faith. Thank you for the gift of faith, and thank you that it can never, ever be taken away. We love you, Father. We love you so much. Grow us in that love. Thank you for loving us first so that we could know the joy of loving you. may our love for you spill out over all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know you make us a loving people, a loving church as a way of saying thank you for the irrevocable blessing of being your people bless us now as we come to this precious table the table of grace The table of remembrance. The table where we remember the covenant blood that was shed for us. We bless your name. Help us be a blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.